Hello, everyone, and welcome to Next Generation. I'm your host, Nick Coons. Today, I'm joined uh, with a very special guest, guest named Bob Worley. He is a Christian apologist out of Bishop, California. He specializes in the Jehovah's Witness, also known as the Watchtower Organization. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Bob. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be on your show, and I hope that... Uh, we can shed some light on this subject and encourage Christians to actually engage at the door. Because when that knock comes at the door, if you're prepared, it could be a very, very eventful uh, time. I bet I've actually come across Jehovah's Witnesses before. But I've also, when I've gone around doing apologetics, I've talked to different people who are not really sure about the Watch organization. So, Bob, what is how long have you been witnessing to the watch uh, to Jehovah's Witnesses or to the watch uh, people in the Watchtower? Well, I became a Christian in 1977, uh, flat on my back at 3 a.m. in the morning, and uh, basically it destroyed my life. I mean, uh, by you know, uh, by my own means, nobody had to help me, and uh, I knew I got up and when I accepted Christ and, and called him Lord, that I got up and there was something different. And, of course, I had uh, started telling everybody about, you know, what happened. And my sister was a Jehovah's Witness. And she says, oh, you better check this out. And, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, we're the only organization that has the truth. And so uh, I, at the time I was going, I started going to uh, Calvary Chapel, uh, Costa Mesa, and the Kingdom Hall, same time. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah, and it, it didn't it didn't take long. It, it you know the, the spirit of God is is very powerful, and I I could see that these people uh, didn't have the truth, but my heart went out to them, you know, and I got very convicted about it. And so, uh, anyways, a number of years later, uh, I had an encounter with a Jehovah's Witness, and I wasn't prepared, and uh, because I kind of wit witnessed to everybody and anybody, but didn't particularly uh, get into the apologetics part until about 1985. And at that point, a burden was put on me, and I started witnessing to them. Since 1985 till now, it's been my primary ministry, and I have learned a lot and also have a lot to share on actually engaging with a Jehovah's Witness where it's not a battle. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm hoping to build up to on this show. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I didn't actually know that you were um, raised in the household with Jehovah's Witness. I was not aware of that. That's actually, that's actually pretty eye-opening. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of listeners who may have encountered that. Now, when I've encountered Jehovah's Witnesses, I noticed there's some problems and with Christian theology and whatnot and trying to witness with them. And the people I've talked to, these are some of the questions I've come across, and I'll let you kind of take it away from, you know, as we're going. But one of the that I've heard from Jehovah's Witnesses is the belief that Jesus Christ is actually Michael the Archangel. Where does this idea come from? Well, basically, uh, it starts out. You, and we, we'll have to get into more of the structure of the witnesses, but it, it basically starts out in uh, the 
late 1800s and uh, with Charles Case Russell and he had encountered an Adventist and he was influenced by him. And uh, uh, the first thing that uh, Russell did was reject hellfire. Uh, Russell was an occultist, by the way. Many people don't know that, but uh, he was dabbling in the occult at a certain level. And then uh, he denied the doctrine of the Trinity. And so now to deny the doctrine of the Trinity, you have to make Jesus a created being. Uh, so he was allegedly the first one created by Jehovah. And so they have scriptures that they distort to make it look that way uh, to the untrained person or to the uh, person that really is not into the word of God. And uh, so they find a scripture uh, that says that with the trump of the archangel Michael, right? And they say, see, that's Jesus. He's the one blowing that trump and, and he's Michael. And so they have the spirit being in heaven. Uh, uh, Jehovah uh, basically puts him into a body and he becomes a person, a human being. And then that he uh, is uh, killed and never resurrects. His spirit is resurrected, which makes absolutely no sense. The body well, goes. That's, also, that's but that would also completely derail the idea of the physical bodily resurrection, which is the what Apostle Paul talks about is the cornerstone of our faith. If Christ has risen physically bodily, then our faith is bankrupt, and we are to be pitied amongst the all, highest of all people. Exactly right. First uh, Corinthians fifteen one through four is the first most thing that we should know. And if there's Christians out there that don't know what that says, they better go read it. But that uh, Christ died in three days. He was raised from the grave for the forgiveness of our sins. And so if that body does not come out of the grave, we have no forgiveness. And we are people um, that are very lacking and pitiful. And right. so I think uh, one thing to add on to that would also be that the when Paul talks about over or even Book of Luke talks about over five hundred people witness a physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, it would discredit the over five hundred witnesses that saw him over a period of forty days. Well, the Watchtower believes that uh, uh, Jehovah manufactured a body to trick them into believing that he raised from the grave, and so uh, we have uh, a God uh, that's inside time and space uh, that has recreated a body to trick people, but he was the Archangel Michael uh, before and after, and Jesus only on earth. And so uh, I, you see with Thomas, for example, Thomas, you know, says uh, that he wouldn't believe until he had that physical body there and Jesus invited him uh, to, to touch him and and he says flesh and bone you know does not uh, inherit the kingdom of heaven it doesn't say a, a flesh and blood body which is kind of the natural body that we have on earth so there has to be uh, for all those Christians that want a definition for resurrection there has to be a continuity from your body on earth uh, I'm not going to resurrect as a zebra or as you know, uh, 
some uh, other form of life. I'm, I'm going to have a continuity from this body, which would be glorified. And you find that in 1 Corinthians 15. And yes, Nick, you've hit, you've hit the problem right on the head. The, I, I want to say something that the, in, in the Corinthians, it says that you cannot call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In the Hebrew text, it says you cannot call Jesus Yahweh except by the Holy Spirit. And so until you are born again by the Spirit of God, can you look up and call God the Father Abba? And you can't call Jesus Yahweh unless by the Holy Spirit. And so this is something that Christians should be involved in studying and getting convicted of. That's actually a very good point. Um, I wanted to look over at, um, at I forget his name again, uh, Charles Taze Russell, right? <clears throat> I wanted to see about who was he? What, I know when I researched a little bit into this topic, and I, obviously you have much more in-depth um, knowledge of this, but he, one of the big things Jehovah's Witnesses are known for is predicting the end times. How did Charles T. S. Russell actually try to predict it? How did it ultimately fail? Or, well, what, because this is usually hidden from a large majority of Jehovah's Witnesses I've talked to. And maybe you can give more insight on that. Oh, uh, great. Uh, it's a great question, actually. And a lot of Christians that study Jehovah's Witnesses don't know the, the extent of this how a false prophet comes in and starts a religion and he claimed that Jesus was going to come back bodily in 1874. And when 1874 came and went, there was no body. And so what did they do? They said, well, he came invisibly. Well, that's kind of nice. That's they kind of convenient. <laughs> right? So the return of Christ, and this is very important because that's why they can't have a bodily resurrection is because he came back invisibly, right? If he had a, bod a body, a flesh and bone, a glorified body, he, when he comes back, uh, every eye should see him. Oh, gosh, the Bible says that, right? So uh, what they did is they predicted the end of the world. And by the way, I have all of these books, right? That I've collected all the Watchtower uh, books, and uh, maybe someday uh, we'll get together at my house, and I will show you my uh, collection of false prophecies. But uh, they, it, they decided that the end of the world was going to come in 1914, and they uh, published a series, which I have, Studies in the Scriptures, where they say that the end of the world is 1914. Well, 1914 came, and then they, the next book came out was 1915, right? And then that didn't right. come. And they said, that, oh, he came in, uh, invisible again in 1914 somehow. So they, 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 they kind of abandoned that prophecy, that's a little technical issue, but uh, but it was a false prophecy, and it was in the name of the Lord. And uh, Deuteronomy 18 uh, tells us that if a prophet presumes to speak for Yahweh, and that prophecy does not come true, he is a false prophet. And a lot of people today don't see what's so dangerous about a false uh, prophecy, but you look back. It, uh, the early or late 1800s, early 1900s, when the monarch fell and uh, communism came in, it was a false prophet called Rasputin that affected uh, the monarch. And he 
to uh, how they should run their monarchy, and it fell because of a false prophet. A whole kingdom can fall because of a false prophet. And we look at the Antichrist, the ultimate false prophecy can deceive the world. And that's why, again, we have to be into the word of God so that Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and Seventh-day Adventists, and millions of other false prophets that are out there don't affect us. I agree with you. I was, when I was looking at Charles Taze Russell, and they actually, it appeared, and you probably know much more about this, so I'm going to just kind of cover it lightly. <clears throat> he stood amongst a court, and he was apparently talking about how he could read Koine Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in. And he said that he was translating it. And so another Christian, I believe a pastor, and correct me if I'm wrong here, him and brought the Greek into a courtroom where he was being tried and said, go ahead and just read the alphabet in Greek. And he said, ultimately, he could not do it. Is this accurate? Kind of. <laughs> it's uh, okay. what what uh, Charles Taze Russell did. Is that, uh, the, and how I know this is because uh, when. Uh, Oh, you know, excuse me. It was Charles Taze Russell. Uh, uh, I was thinking of the, uh, oh, one, one of the uh, uh, Freddie, um, oh, you know, I, I get his name right off, but uh, no, Charles Taze Ruc Russell did not know uh, uh, Coiny Greek. That's, that is true. Uh, they had another person that was the president later on that had taken two years of classical Greek, but two years of Greek is not much to be able to be a translator. Right. And so, uh, yes, you're right. They, they have not really ever had any legitimate scholarship throughout all of their history uh, until they did get a Greek scholar in uh, back in the, I believe it was the, late 80s and actually uh, I was at a debate which a paper has been done on that debate and he lost and he was uh, it was uh, Dr. Robert Bowman from Christian Research Institute that was our lead man and so uh, to say that they've had any scholarship is far from the truth yeah I've, I've noticed that with them and also when I contacted the Mormons before and this is what, that'll be another uh, podcast altogether but just briefly touching on it, I've contacted Mormons over at BYU also at the Salt Lake City Temple and it seems to be a common trend with people who are or cult or in the occult and proclaim to be Christian and yet when I ask them do you guys have an apologist do you guys know the Greek language and they really are lacking in these um, another one I was noticing when I talked to a Jehovah's Witness, I talked to him in downtown Disney, and when I kind of, I, a lot of them believe that Jesus is the firstborn creation, right? That's what they'll usually use and say he was the firstborn of all creation. <clears throat> it's found in the Bible, and therefore God created Jesus, which is against John chapter 1, verse 1. And I was wondering... Maybe you can talk in depth about that as well, because that's actually a question that's been raised a lot, is how do we how do we as Christians come up to this point of where the Jehovah's Witnesses, as I said, claim Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, can show it in the Bible? How do we go more in depth into understanding what that firstborn of all creation or even firstborn means in the Gospels? Well, that's kind of a, a study uh, 
that could take up the whole time, but I'll give you uh, the answer to that. And I really suggest that all Christians take out their search engine on Google and search their Bibles out on this. Is there's two words in Greek? One is firstborn, and one is for first created. And uh, when you deal with the issue of firstborn, you're talking about preeminence. You're not talking about uh, always the first one born. For example, David was the last one born, but he was the firstborn of God. So uh, firstborn is not, born is not the word created. It's a preeminence. It's, it's how that uh, uh, society back then dealt with uh, the, the issue of who was going to get, uh, uh, you know, the bloodline uh, and, and be the first uh, in position in that family. If uh, your listeners want, I could probably send out a paper or something on this, uh, but uh, first created and firstborn are two separate things. And uh, if they just uh, search firstborn out, they'll see that David was the firstborn. And that right there tells you that it was that he was the preeminent one of the family. This reminds me a lot of what I've heard from Matt Slick as well. And if there are the listeners who are listening to this, you want to go to CARM, C-A-R-M dot org. <laughs> and what I heard was it was called, and I'm fairly shaky on my Greek here, but the prototokoska, from what I understand. And, and it, and it goes hand in hand with what you're saying. And, and from what I understand, what Matt Slick was talking about, and he mirrors what you're saying, is that it has three definitions. One is your firstborn, as in you come out of your mother's loins first. Um, second definition means that you are preeminence, as in, as you were talking about, David was the last born in his family, but he has inheritance from God. <clears throat> and that's what they mean by giving the inheritance. And the third definition means you're the firstborn, you're the first one to come out of your mother's loins, first one to be born, and you have preeminence over an inheritance. So it, it mirrors exactly what you're talking about. So I want to make sure I got that part in and make sure that's correct. That is correct. And if uh, uh, Matt Slick would be a, a great asset on subjects like uh, – uh, the firstborn, uh, the Trinity, and, and uh, doctrinal issues. So, uh, yes, I, I, I've actually met Matt and talked to him a number of times, and I've seen him in action out debating and so forth. And so uh, uh, he's, he's deeply into apologetics, I'd have to say. I've seen that, too. So I, I do have friends who I've talked to. Again, I've witnessed to many different um, – Watchtower organization members. And one of it that they were talking about was, does Watchtower, and I want to confirm this, believe in heaven and hell? What exactly is that concept to them? Well, now you're, now you're getting into uh, where I was kind of going to head at, is that uh, allegedly Ro uh, Russell put the hose on hell. And uh, he allegedly proved that there was no hell. And so they've had that position since Russell. And again, this was a false prophet that came in that uh, was not a language expert uh, at all. Uh, but uh, yes, they believe in heaven, but they believe in a paradise earth. And now I believe in a new heavens and a new earth. What they believe about the new heavens and the new earth 
is a little different than what we would believe. We believe that we inherit the new heavens and the new earth. Whatever that entails, that's what our inheritance is. To a Jehovah's Witness, they have a heaven that only is going to be populated with 144,000 people. In, uh, in this 144,000, at the current belief system today, is that 16 of them are the faithful and discreet slave found in Matthew 25 uh, that gives meat in due season. It gives spiritual food. So uh, they allegedly have probably about 6,000, 7,000 of these uh, uh, spirit begotten people who are born again uh, in heaven. And the rest of the earth are ones that get into the earthly paradise by treating the anointed good. It's not, they don't have a mediator between God and man. Uh, it says that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And they said, no, not all men, just the 144,000. So uh, that kind of, throws out a lot of people because if you don't have a mediator between God and man, because the new covenant is for the forgiveness of sins and you can't get your sins forgiven unless you're in the new covenant. So you and I are born again and they say, no, no, no. It's only our leaders are born again. Uh, oh, we're in the new covenant. No, no, no. We're not in the new covenant. Only only about 7,000 people on earth today are the new covenant. And they're the ones that know Jesus and know the Father. The rest of us on earth go door to door. And we uh, are devoted to the organization, which is God's mouthpiece on earth. So when you get a watchtower, that is 16 people receiving information from God going into the Watchtower magazines, and then they get their meat in due season from those magazines. The problem is, is what kind of God has given false prophecies uh, that God lived on a planet, Elcyon, uh, in the star, uh, uh, in the Pelides. And uh, now they deny that they ever taught that, but I have the documents, I have their books. And they did. And uh, I could tell you a God that lives inside of time and space. And uh, that would be Satan. <laughs> so, uh, so they claim they get their information from angels uh, at the Watchtower headquarters in uh, New York. And they communicate with these angels. And uh, they also uh, uh, indicate that they get some information from the dead. You can find that in the Revelation uh, book. That's uh, you could probably find those at Amazon. Uh, but anyways, at that point, that's the issue. They have a priestly class, and inside that priestly class, they've got the faithful and discreet slave, which are congregated in New York. They put out, and they are the mouthpiece of Jehovah to all Jehovah's Witnesses throughout the world. And if you don't believe what they believe, you're cut out of the kingdom because you cannot have salvation without the organization. And I well, how exactly does that work? I, I, like with salvation with them, how does that function? Well, 
I happen to have those documents uh, up right now. And we'll ask them from uh, basically their uh, documents will be the answer. Okay, let's see here. We have... Okay, it says here in uh, Watchtower Magazine, and this is uh, uh, May 1st of 1957. Now, remember, whatever they say, right, in old magazines, unless they correct it and deny it, it's still, it's still pertinent for today. Because they'll say, oh, that's old light. And I say, well, wait a second, light is truth. What is it old truth? You know, and no, it's wrong. It says the world is full of Bibles. Now, this is coming from the Watchtower. The world is full of Bibles, which books contain the commandments of God. Why then do the people not know which way to go? Because they do not also have the teaching of the law of the mother, which is light. And they believe that the organization is the mother. And they also believe that you have God the Father, you have Jesus Christ, and then you have the mother, which is their organization. And without that mother, you cannot proceed into eternal life. Okay, I'll give you another one here. And this is worth a while looking at. And this will be November 15th, 1979. And it talks about uh, here. To keep in a relationship with our Savior God, the great crowd, that's all of us on earth that's going to live in a leafy uh, paradise, needs to remain united with the remnant spiritualite Israelites. And this is the 144,000, which only 6,000 uh, or 7,000 remain today, or the faithful and discreet slave. So for us to be... Uh, to have any type of spiritual truth we have to be in this relationship now we have here uh, i'm going to also mention this is that this is our uh it's a book that they use every year called organized to accomplish our ministry 1983 page 25 it says unity is maintained by loyalty recognizing the headship of christ and also submitting to the organization and the organizational channel, the faithful and discreet slave, which is 16 people, <clears throat> which have the master, the master has appointed this slave to do. So he's appointed them to give them light. Jesus answered that the slave was to provide spiritual food at the proper time. So that 16 people have the authority to talk for God. Now, how do they get saved? Here it is. This is it. And this is going to be Watchtower, August 1st. I think this is 1983 or 81. Uh, uh, it's kind of blurry here. I get the original out. Your attitude towards the weak-like anointed brothers of Christ and the treatment you accord them will be the determining factor as to whether you go into everlasting cutting off or receive everlasting life. So, Nick, I'm going to tell you something. I don't find those verses in the Bible. What I find in the Bible 
is that there's uh, uh, someone that came, God in human flesh, in John 1.1 1, 1, and, and throughout the book of John, throughout the Bible, actually, even in the Old Testament, this Messiah came and he died for our sins. He gave his sacrifice, his body as a sacrifice over. He was resurrected. He conquered death. And that by us, and this is this is the key thing. I want everybody to get their notes out. John 3, 36. And it says, if we do not have the son, we have the wrath of God remaining on us. When we are born into this world, we have the wrath of God on us. That's why you can look at John 3.36 and go back to John uh, 3 and on about being born again. Born from above is in the Greek. Born from above. God does the work. And you find in, in uh, John that uh, Jesus says, uh, you did not choose me. I chose you. And right. he didn't choose us because we were the greatest. We're sick. We are futile. You look at Romans chapter 7. Paul had been uh, <clears throat> had been a Christian for 30 years when he wrote this. And he says he's the cornerstone of sin. The things that he should do, he doesn't. I mean, our flesh is our enemy. And this is a battle that we all have as born-again Christians. Uh, because we have those two natures. And then you go to Romans 8. There's no condemnation in Christ for those who are in Christ. And it says, those who belong to Christ, these are the children of God. Now, that tells us something. We're born again. We're adopted into a family. And by the way, just as a side note, the Mormons will come and say, we're all children of God. Well, that's a heresy. No, not all of us are children of God. We no, the Bible clearly states that we are creations of God until we have chosen Jesus Christ and accepted him. Then we are given the right to become and we're adopted into the kingdom of heaven. But until then, we're not that way. That's true. And that comes to John chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8, 1 through 16. We'll show you that those are those of the flesh and those of the spirit. Those born of the flesh are of flesh and cannot please God. So, anyways, that. I hope that answers your question about heaven, no hell, and most of these people going door to door are people that are trying to work themselves into the kingdom by treating those 16 people, uh, or uh, maybe even they think they have to treat the 6,000 people, whoever they may be. Well, it sounds more and more like this is basically like, I, the one thing that flew into my mind when you were talking about this was um the occult over i think it was where uh, the guy the people who throw, drunk a bunch of lem, uh, uh the kool-aid and died jim the, jones. yeah jim jones where it was about pleasing jim jones pleasing the occult pleasing this guy in order to inquire salvation and it's also an area of works which we know in ephesians 2 8 it says that by grace you've been saved through faith this is not of yourselves not by works lest any man shall boast so there's no way that we can approach God with our good works and expect God, a truly holy and righteous God, to accept that. That's why the grace of Jesus Christ is given. That's why in John 3.16 expresses that. So realistically, there is no actual way of requiring salvation through the Watchtower organization. Well, 
what we have here, and this, this is kind of wanting to go in a direction maybe on the next show, is that when you approach a Jehovah's Witness, you approach somebody that has been basically programmed. And uh, this is how the programming works. They come to your door and they talk about this new leafy green uh, planet we're going to live on. Uh, well, I don't want to live on the old one. I know I want the new heavens and new earth. I want the one. <laughs> the <laughs> 2.0 version. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I want the new thing, man. I don't want the catalytic converters at a dump site, you know, but uh, they will say, they will teach them about that and the unknowing person. Uh, remember, uh, it's in uh, Timothy where we got uh, silly women weighed down with sin, right? Well, that's silly, Pete. Really, when you look at it, uh, the Bible says you're in darkness or you're in light. In Colossians, it said you uh, are transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And that's light. And so, Basically, go door to door and they find uneducated people, and, uh, and that's men and women, and uh, they show them some verses, and, and they think somehow, oh, I've gained knowledge of the Bible. So they get a little puffed up and so forth. But what happens is they say, but you know, there's going to be people who are going to try to keep you from being one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And so that person goes over and tells his mom or his cousin Oh, I've been studying with Jehovah's Witnesses. And all of a sudden, people say, oh, don't go with them. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Right? So they, they, right. they, yeah, they get work. in print. Yeah. And then what happens is they start teaching them that you have to believe all things the Watchtower says. And uh, I'll give you a, uh, one of their, uh, just one of their quotes. Qualified to be a minister is uh, one of their insider books. Uh, it's a 19, revised uh, 1967, page 156. And it says that uh, for the organization of his people, we shall not be suspicious, but we shall, as the Bible says, believe all things, all things the Watchtower brings out in as much as it has been faithful in giving us the knowledge of God's purpose and guiding ways and kept us in you know peace and safety and so on and so forth. So the point is, is that you're taught that and then all of a sudden you're saying, oh, well, you know, this channel of communication comes through the watchtower and I'm to believe all things the watchtower and then the watchtower uh, for example, I'm going to give you an example I, I, I use. I use this with witnesses and, and I've used it with Mormons. Uh, but let's say that Nick and I are out, we're, you and I are out on this deserted island, right? Right. And two rafts are floating by and one has a Bible on it and the other has Watchtower and Mormon writings on it. You could only reach one raft. Which one, Nick, are you going to reach for? The Bible, obviously. A Bible, right. Okay. Uh, that's, by the way, that's the correct answer. And I've had, I just had a witness here not too long ago because they teach the Bible is only written to the anointed class, which is the heavenly class. They're not written to uh, six or seven million Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, that's an interesting thing you bring up, because I've heard the same thing about the early Catholic Church before uh, Martin Luther came along, that only the priests were allowed to read the Bible, 
and then that people had to um, you know trust what the priest was teaching even to this day it's like you hand out bibles to catholics and you know that's another episode altogether but it seems to be a common trend along people or at least um ideologies that are about controlling people and not letting them actually look at god's word oh Oh, are you so right on that? Uh, that's beautiful because the cat, uh, we, we had a guy that was in the Catholic church, his witness or his wife was becoming a witness. And a friend of mine went through the structure of the watchtower and the things they said. And he says, well, I believe that about my organization, the Catholic church. Yeah. The guy ended up studying the Bible and left Catholic church, became a Christian. Right. That's so, what my wife did. Uh, so, <laughs> So, it, it, but see what he, what my friend did not do was attack the Catholic Church, and that's the one thing you don't want to do when witnessing to the witnesses until it's the appropriate time, or uh, you just have a one shot type of situation. Then you could mention false prophecies or show them one. And I have all these documents, by the way, uh, that I can get to you. Anyways, the Watchtower, November first, nineteen eighty one. But Jehovah God had also provided his visible organization, his faithful and discreet slave made up of spirit anointed ones to help Christians and all the nations to understand and apply properly the Bible in their lives. Unless we are in touch with this channel of communication that God is using, we will not progress along the road to life, no matter how much Bible reading we do. So if a Jehovah's Witness was on an island, he would have to grab the watchtower material because he couldn't understand the Bible. It sounds, it sounds like the Jehovah's Witness, the Jehovah's Witness organization is in essence scared because yeah. what they are doing is saying, Unless you come to us directly, you're not going to know the word of God. We are the only ones. So it's almost a fear tactic. And like you know, with the Mormon church, same way. Is if you don't go to the Mormon church, you're not and read the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price. You won't be able to enter God's kingdom or be in favor with him. And it's like you take that away and they lose all their power. Absolutely. Now think about this. The Watchtower is the sole organization that receives communication from Jehovah God into 16 people in New York, spreads it out through the Watchtower. They go door to door, and then at the end of the year, they put in all their time cards, and they, uh, and they do have time cards, and, uh, and they publish that in their magazine uh, at the end of the year of how many people went door to door. But... Nick, I'm going to ask you something. Yeah. Brother, you, right, are independently thinking, and that's evidence of pride, and, uh, and that's like witchcraft. And so I don't want you thinking for yourself again. So if you got anything you want to know, you just call <laughs> Brother Bob, right? <laughs> right. Uh, you know, how long would it be before I get tossed out of your front door? Or you run off because a, a crazy person is talking to you, right? Okay, so let's look at what I'm getting at here. January 15, 1983. And they're talking about the fight against independent thinking. As we study the Bible, we learn that Jehovah has always guided his servants in an organized way. 
And just as in the first century, there was only one true Christian organization, today Jehovah is using only one organization, yet there are some who point out that the organization has had to make adjustments to the false prophecies before. And so they argue this shows that we have to make up our own minds on what we to believe. This is independent thinking. Why is this so dangerous? Such thinking is evidence of pride. And the Bible says pride is before a crash and a haughty spirit before stumbling. If we get to thinking that we know more or know better than the organization, we should ask ourselves, where did we learn the Bible truth in the first place? Would we know the way of the truth if we hadn't had uh, guidance from the, uh, from the organization? Really, can we get along without the direction of God's organization? No, we cannot. <laughs> Right. So they got to fight against independent thinking. So when you go up to the Jehovah's Witness, right, you're what you're doing is basically starting a sword fight with them. And and you're gonna you're gonna have grace verses, and then they're gonna go to verses that they think that shows works, and they're they're kind of tricky verses. And if you understand the structure of Jehovah's Witnesses, you know that those verses don't pertain to them and what those verses really mean. And so uh, yes, the issue that I want to come back to you on is that these people live in fear because if they get kicked out of the watchtower, they're kicked out of the kingdom. And they can't that reminds them. me a lot of when I heard a bunch of Mormons talking about the same thing and where it was, I heard one testimony and we'll obviously make another episode about Mormonism, but this is just a short, brief story about how a guy went on his mission trip, encountered a Protestant Baptist, and the Baptist incursion in the Bible over the period of two years, he read it and became a Christian on his mission trip. And then, you know, he was he was afraid of expressing who he was as a Christian because he would lose his scholarship to BYU, he would lose his family when we talked to him. He had a girlfriend who he's in love with, who he was afraid was going to leave his side. He had a home to go to that would be anyway, basically it would he would gain the world if he stayed with the mormon belief almost like like the jehovah's witness he would gain the whole world but he would lose his soul and that's the same thing that jesus talked about what is the benefit of man to gain the whole world in the watchtower organization and lose their soul when you find out truth and that's what we're doing here is expressing these truths about the kingdom hall about the watchtower organization and so I think that's one thing we need to also bring up to the listeners is if you're listening to this and you find yourself in the predicament that, you know, everything that you hear Bob and I talking about and finding out it's true and accurate, and yet you're scared about leaving the watchtower. First of all, as Bob, you pointed out, you know, these, these false prophets also don't have any authority behind them. They have nothing to fear from them. They can't bring you hellfire. They can't lift Satan in your face and and damn you to hell for all eternity. They have no authority and no power. In fact, all heaven and all, you know God's judgment will be upon them, and they will be suffering as a false prophet in the fiery pits of hell is what he condemns. And that's even what uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9 even talks about, that they will be under God's curse. And so leaving it, it has no authority. And honestly, 
when you do leave the watchtower, when you do, li- do leave these cults, and you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be... Uh, you'll be okay. God will take care of you. It's going to be a scary as heck ride because you're going through a dark tunnel. But ultimately it's what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world and lose their soul? You know, I couldn't have said that any better. <laughs> and I, by, the way, by the way, Nick, I have lost family members that won't talk to me. In fact, uh, last time I talked to my nephew who I loved so much many years ago and he, they spy on each other. And so uh, he, his wife was listening in on a phone call and you could tell that uh, I was getting to him on, on the issue of the word of God and who the watchtower was. And so uh, when he got off, his wife uh, turned him into the elders and they said, if he gets caught uh, talking to me without uh, other witnesses to, to testify to what uh, he said, he would be disfellowship. So I got cut off. And so that sounds a lot like Scientology as well, where they have this um, disconnection. I, and I read about that. And I heard some people giving the same thing. This is very much a cult. It's very much about control versus where Jesus says, I'm going to give you life and I give it abundantly. I am the truth, the way and the life. And as apologists, as you and I both know that Jesus doesn't stop us from having conversations with each other, or talking to people or, or being um, educated in other theologies, and other um, types of religious beliefs. In fact, we're encouraged to do it, but to understand and keep Jesus Christ as central, and ultimately to do as 1 Peter 3.15 talks about, about giving a reason for the joy that's in our heart, we have to be able to do this. And if you are part of the Watchtower um, organization, and you're being told not to look at these things, not to search out, this should really pique, pique your curiosity about, why? And I know it's a terrifying concept. I've seen people in, in different cults who have this very difficult time being able to leave it. And again, that goes back to the don't be afraid to leave them. God will provide for you, even though it's terrifying. But I think that's also where we have to, as a church, be open because we're not, we're not. And here, here's the crazy thing. I know I'm just going to say this really fast. The church is not a museum for good people. It's for the hospital, for the broken. We, the body of Christ, need to be able to accept people from these cults, from Jehovah's Witnesses, from Mormons, from other cults, and be able to show them that there's Christ's love, that you're going to be okay, everything's going to be fine. It's big and scary. You're on a roller coaster. You know, you're at the peak of the roller coaster. You're going to go down, and it can be quite terrifying. But ultimately... It's going to be okay. The roller coaster is going to straighten out. Everything is going to be just fine. It's going to be a little up and down, but ultimately you're going to end up at the safe place at the end of the roller coaster, and the world's going to look brighter. It's going to be okay, no matter what. Well, I'd have to say this is that, uh, you know, when I was in the world, I really felt that I had had it going on. Oh, me too. (laughs) When I became a Christian, I'm going to tell you something, all the losses that I've had behind me, even with some family members and so forth. And I'm talking about the ones that are witnesses. Uh, it's interesting how the non-believing family, family members have a lot more tolerance than uh, uh, the religious type of people. That's telling you something there. But uh, I'm going to give you an example. And I want this for encouragement to Christians. And that's this. I, I was out at Burning Man in the late 90s and and, of course, they were all upset I was out there, you know, sharing the gospel of Christ. And so they called the sheriff's department on me, and they came out, and they found me. And uh, uh, 
one of them found out I was a well, I was a Christian. You know, I got Bibles and tracts and this and that. And uh, and he goes, "How could you go inside that disgusting uh, Burning Man event? How can you people? There's all kinds of disgusting things going on in there." And I said, "You know what?" I said, uh, "It's obvious you go to church." I said, "So why don't you go back to Reno where you're from, right?" and dot your I's and cross your T's and sit in church and play church because I'm going to be like the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and Acts 17 and I'm going to go to the pagans and I am going to preach the gospel because Jesus saved me. Amen. And I I said, you know what? The Epicureans and Stoics and so forth are basically uh, the beginning. part of burning man really in reality and it's just that maybe these people are out there naked uh painted purple or something right and uh and so i'm going to go out to them because you know what my life was disgusting and so what am i going to do set in church and i have this over and over and over people tell me why would you go out there because i have 70, 80,000 people out there, and they all will talk to me about Christ because they're there believing they're enlightened, right? Mm-hmm. And me to have that many people, it's like I get in the middle of them, and I say, they'll never get away now. They'll never get away. I got them, right? Right where I want them, surrounding me. And another thing, and I'm going to say this because it's important. Christians tell me, well, Jehovah's Witnesses only come to my door once. And then I let them have it and they never come back. Really? Is that what you want? You know what? I want them to keep coming back because every time, all I got to do, Nick, is get a couple of verses here and here, uh, there, a verse here and there into them, and they start thinking. And I'll give you an example. This is real important. And I do this almost every time I, I approach a witness on the street, is that this is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. Now, everybody listen up, right? Uh, after the resurrection until 1935, all of the Christians that died, uh, they went to heaven. That's called the anointed class. All the believers before the resurrection and after 1935 are part of the great crowd and they live on earth. So, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived before the resurrection, so they live on earth with us, right? And everybody that was uh, born again before they're born again before 1935 go to heaven. Okay, so we got to know that. We got to understand what they believe, okay? And so we look at Matthew 8:11. This is a test for all the Christians. And Jesus says, and I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Wait a second. They don't go to heaven. I just did this in Cedarville, California during Burning Man. uh, And I went up and the guy looks at it and he's stumbling with it. He can't figure it out. He never noticed it because the watchtower tells him what to believe. Then I opened the door with John 3, 36, that those who do not have Jesus have the wrath remaining on them. And the Bible says that you must be born again. It's not an option. 
and I ask him to re, uh, uh, read Romans chapter 8, 1 through 16. It says, those, that have, those who are born of the Spirit belong to Christ. They're the sons of God. And the ones that don't are those of the flesh. And I said, all of that, right? Mm-hmm. And I had, I had him read it. And another thing is, have the witness read the scripture. Say, do you believe that? And I've had witnesses read Matthew 8, 11 and say, oh, I don't believe that. He said, now listen to what you said. You don't believe the Bible. Who do you believe? That's actually a really good point. I was uh, listening to Pastor Cliff Connectly from, uh, from Give Me an Answer. And this kind of goes into all aspects of apologetics, uh, regardless of what your theology is, or your belief, whether you're atheist, Christian, Hindu, Muslim, whatever it may be. The big question, and I, I kind of, I do really take it from from Cliff on this one, where I ask the person, like whenever I'm witnessing to somebody, and the listeners can do this as well. Okay, let's say you don't believe the Bible is the word of God. Maybe you are talking to Jehovah's Witness and you don't fully believe it. The big question you have to ask is, and you need to ask yourself before you get to this point is, what do I believe in? And what is the evidence for what I believe in to make it true? So like when we're talking about Jehovah's Witnesses, we're finding out throughout this entire episode, and I'm, and I'm kind of talking about this, is that the Jehovah's Witnesses really got nothing to back up on. They're really following like Jim Jones rules. And there's no salvation. There is no hope. There's one direct one place you're getting your information from that is sketchy at best from a person who claimed to be a prophet who clearly had false prophecies, which, according to Deuteronomy, makes them a non-prophet. So really, at the end of the day, as a rational thinker, you have to ask yourself, what? Okay, if I rejected the Bible and accept Jehovah's Witnesses, this organization is really built upon sand, and it's just crumbling as the storm of questions, the storm of putting it to a fire is hitting it. It's, it's really like cat that's being thrown into the fire and just burned away. It's not made out of solid rock. It's not made out of steel like we, we see with the Bible. That is that solid foundation, that solid rock, the one that's not going to burn away like chaff in the fire. And so that really makes you examine it and go, I'm really put, if I if you are a Jehovah's Witness, I'm really putting my faith into something that's inaccurate. That's something that's not going to hold water. And ultimately, if you're putting an eternal soul into this thing, which is putting your ultimate trust into it or your ultimate faith, you're going to perish. Simply put, you're going to perish from these false teachers. You're gonna, they're going to perish, and they're t- dragging you down with them. And what you should be doing is looking and going, oh, my goodness, the Jehovah's Witnesses really don't have any argument. Why am I not looking at the Bible? Why am I going to believe the Watchtower when they say that the Bible's corrupted at, uh, at points, that only we can tell you what the Bible believes? Wow, they're really trying to hold you on tight, and that's Satan trying to twist and manipulate you not to look at his word. Yes, and the, the issue uh, is that, as I said in the uh, before is that you're talking to somebody that's programmed, right? Yes, absolutely. And it's like you've got to give them a shock treatment to say, wait, what's going on here, right? And right. it's not through sword fighting, you know, uh, like, for example, when I deal with witnesses, I, uh, I don't want to win a debate. What I want to do is share the gospel. 
big difference, right? Because I can win the debates, believe me. I can go in and I could rip a Jehovah's Witness up pretty bad. But what does that do, right? It just leaves a wounded person that goes back, licks his wounds, and then he gets mean. And then he comes back and rips our people up door to door. And it's just ugly. So what you want to do is you've got to say, okay, I have a missile. And on that uh, missile head is the gospel. And that's like a nuclear bomb. And I got to get that missile and get it into their heart. And Right. And so with that is uh, I, I have a series out called Jack Rabbit Witness. And uh, basically witnesses will try to jackrabbit on you. Like if you bring up a point, they want to take you somewhere else. No, We're, you came to my door and I'd like to talk about salvation. What must a man do to be saved, right? And then mm-hmm. they'll, they'll take you to like First John. And then if you know the context there, that's for the anointing class. So that, that, that's not for them. And so any of the salvation verses pretty much in the Bible uh, don't don't uh, go for them. So what you got to do is you basically shock them. Matthew 8, 11 is my shock. I show them that the raft of uh, the raft of God remains on them. If they don't have the son. I show them that the Bible says you that is born of the flesh is flesh and that is spirit spirit. You must be born again, not an option. And then we go to Matthew 8, 1 through 16, and I have them read them and say, tell me what those mean. I always have the witness if I can, because if you don't, what happens is they're thinking of what they're going to say while you're reading it. They're not listening. They don't care. So you have them read it, explain it to you, and then all of a sudden, the Adam's apple starts to, you know, act funny. All of a sudden. Exactly. And and so what 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 did I do with a few verses, even if it's only one verse? Right. Look what Jesus did. He, 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 he comes up on somebody or they come up on him and he quotes the scripture. Right. Mm-hmm. And that person might run away. Right. It's not to blast them with a shotgun. It is to take a, a precise uh, spiritual shot with with the word of god having them read it to get it inside them because many witnesses come out because somebody gave them a verse and i i have talked to witnesses that walked door to door for 35 years right i i worked with one guy 35 years in the watchtower and and he said that he had never heard what i had to say about the gospel that is quite something it took me six months of working about 40 hours a week with this guy. And I mean 40 hours a week. I mean, this guy wouldn't give up. He thought he could win this, uh, you know, this challenge of, of being saved. Today, he's a, he's a Christian and he has a ministry and he witnesses the oneness Pentecostal. He witnesses the Jehovah's Witness. He witnesses the, anybody that will listen to him, right? Mm-hmm. Because some Christian took the took the time to know what they believe to understand what bible verses were effective and so when you say that it's not a free gift and it's not by works it's a free gift excuse me it's not by works it's a free gift in their mind they've got they their computers running and they're going to james faith without work 
is dead, right? Not knowing that that uh, uh, when they look at Abraham, Abraham was justified in Genesis 15, and his works was long after that. And so the type of work or the type of salvation that Abraham is our example. And so when I was born again, guess what I did? I went to the Bible. I went, well, I, went, I went out and I only knew one verse. I started telling people like a nut people thought I was. And then, you know, I had some bad times and ups and downs. We all do. And then 1985 came and boom, I got challenged and I, I, I did not know my scripture. And I, I repented of that. I think it's what you're talking about. I think, and that sounds like we pretty much have covered the foundations of Jehovah's Witnesses, apart if there's anything else you want to add to it. Um, but it does, well, and this is kind of what got me into apologetics too. And when I say, and I mean this not, <clears throat> and to people who are in the church, in the Christian church, and I don't mean this in a brutal way, but I say it with full sincerity in my heart and with loving conviction. We need to stop being the people in church who just sit, go to church on Sunday for 90 minutes or an hour or whatever, and just sit there and listen to a sermon, whatever. We need to be intimate into the Gospels. We need to know why we believe what we believe in. And we need to dive in not just into the milk of the Scriptures, which is about, you know, John 3.16, about um, how, you know, we're bad people and that there's a judgment day coming. But there's good news. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty. God became human flesh, paid the penalty. We have salvation. We need to dive into the meat of the scriptures so we can show our fellow, the fellow creations in Christ, the Jehovah's Witnesses, who Jesus Christ is, be able to give an account, be able to show the holes the watchtowers and other cults have in them in order to bring them to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's so true. And let me let me finish out because I know our time is up. Uh, it, it, we are called the bride of Christ. Right. And our, our husband uh, is, is gone away and he promised to come back. But he's le- left us 66 books as love letters to us and warnings of concern. And as Christians, we what do we say? Oh, well, I don't want to read the Bible, right? If that's going to be your husband... Right, we're the bride of Christ. We should love Him so much that the Word of God becomes a part of us. And if you can't do that, then there's something wrong. And I've been into that. (laughs) And I've been in that dry spot. I have. I mean, I don't want to come off some type of self-righteous because we go through a lot of things. But the Word of God, we don't lean on our understanding. We lean on the Word of God. Amen to that. So we're going to be doing another episode coming up that's going to be talking about how do we witness to Jehovah's Witnesses? Because a lot of times, Bob, as you're discussing, we have a missile with the nuclear bomb on top, which is the gospel. We're aiming for the heart. Reading is easy. We can easily go up to people and debate in religious ideas or political ideas or whatever it is. And we, but the problem is we can debate and shoot somebody in the face with the gospel. We can shoot people out of the sky like you know, shooting a plane out of the sky. We can easily do that. That's not the difficulty. The issue, the way we're trying to go about doing this is by showing, yes, we're going, we can debate them, but we're going for the heart of the issue. We're trying to reach the individual on a personal basis 
love them while showing the gospel to them in order to lead them to repentance and ultimate trust into Jesus Christ, the Savior. I think ultimately we're going to be talking about that on the next episode coming up, and I'll schedule a date. And so you can go ahead and take the information you have and learn from some of the best, like Bob Worley here, about how to reach people lovingly. So, Bob, sounds like we need to do another episode. <laughs> oh, it sounds great. I love doing this on Jehovah's Witnesses. It's right at uh, my conviction, my heart, my concern. And I still uh, always stop into the Kingdom Hall and talk to some of these people. I've never been a Jehovah's Witness, but I do like to interface with them. And that's it for me. Until next time. All righty. Sounds good, Bob. And for my listeners that are listening out there to Next Generation Saints, whether you are international right now or you're on the state side in the United States, until next time, may God richly bless you and may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you now and until next time we talk. God bless.